Hey, this is Noah Fritchie, and I'm the lead pastor of Real Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today, and I hope this can inspire you and build your faith. Enjoy the message. We are in the middle of a teaching series called The Real Jesus, and I love this series. I absolutely love this series. In fact, this series is really uh, just really what the church is all about. If you don't know, uh, our, the reason that we're called Real Church in the first place is because our mission statement, it literally says this, we exist to introduce people to the real Jesus. We're all about the Jesus that we see in Scripture. And for some of us, we've grown up with a different kind of Jesus. We've grown up with a uh, with, 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 uh, with the wrong idea of the trait and personality of Jesus. We've all had ideas of who he is. We have some type of conception on who he is. We, have, uh, we, we just think that we know who Jesus is. But unfortunately for most of us, and even those of us who, grow, who grew up in church, most of the things that we think, most of the ways that we think Jesus is, is not based on Scripture. Most of, most, of the, most of the ways that we think Jesus is, is that we, we just think it's all based on traditions that we've heard. It's all based on hearsay. It's all based on paintings that we've seen. But it's not based on what the Bible says. And so today, and all throughout this series, we have been setting the record straight to help people know Jesus better. Because I know that if I can introduce you to the real Jesus, I know that you will not only begin to know him, But out of that knowledge of who he really is, you will begin to fall deeply in love with the person who created you. And when you begin to see what the Bible says, I promise that's what will happen. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about it. Over the first week, I would encourage you, if you missed the first week of this series, you need to go back and rewatch it because that message is so close to my heart about Jesus being your best friend. He wants to be your best friend. He has a desire to be close to you and relate to you personally. Go back and watch it. Listen to it on the podcast. Uh, and then the, week, the next week, we talked about Jesus, the miracle worker, how Jesus is working and developing something in us. And um, last week, we talked about Jesus as the shepherd. And we used the famous Psalm 23 and walked through that. And it's so beautiful to see how Jesus as our shepherd, he's not using the rod and staff to beat you to death or to, or to harm you or to correct you. No, he's using that rod and staff to take care of you and fight off the enemy. That's who Jesus is. In fact, all throughout the last several weeks, we've looked at a theme scripture that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through 2. They're going to have that on the screen. I'd encourage you to just look at it and read along with me. This is in the message translation, just because really the message translation of this scripture helps us understand this better. It says this, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy, which, by the way, that's out there. People will try to impress you with, they they can talk sly, they can sell you a car, man, but that doesn't mean that that, that they have the right answer to your problems. And it says, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. Then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. That's what we're talking about over the next several weeks. We are just deliberately keeping Jesus plain and simple so that you can understand Jesus and who he is. 
And today we're going to talk about an interesting type of Jesus. Really, this is a topic that a lot of people don't like to get into, but I'm sure that you know that as a church, if you've been around here for a little while, I like to talk a little bit about some risky topics. And uh, there's, there's nothing that's not risky about this topic because a lot of people would read past this scripture and they don't even want to think twice about it. They don't understand it. They, they don't want to think about it. Why, why do we do that? I'm not going to give you the scripture yet, but let, let's think about this. Why do we do that with scripture? It's because we like this watered-down version of Jesus. Like, when we think about Jesus, we just think about Jesus as the peacemaker. When we talk about Jesus as the shepherd, we can just picture him holding a little lamb, you know, just meek and mild, and Jesus that wouldn't harm a fly, man. That's the type of Jesus that we like to think about. But we see Jesus in Scripture that's just a little bit different. We see Jesus is, uh, at the beginning of his ministry, he's getting ready to go into the temple courts. Which, by the way, if you don't know anything about the temple or the Old Testament, you need to know that the temple in the Old Testament was really everything for a Jew. In fact, you would go to, a temp- you would go to the temple if you were looking for any type of economic power, any type of political power. Uh, it, the temple was just this religious center of life. There was just life that came from the temple. Everyone would gather there. That's where you would talk to people. That's where you would fellowship with people. The temple was the place. Like if you were going to run for office or start a business, you would go to the temple. That's what it was. But originally, here's the thing. The temple was not meant, uh, originally the temple was meant to be the dwelling place of God. In fact, when you read in Psalms, it, it, there's, there's a scripture in Psalms that talks about that God owns the entire earth. He owns the whole earth, but he chooses to dwell in the temple among his people. That's what the temple was designed for. It was the dwelling place for such a great God. But over time, the interesting thing is, is that the temple became corrupted. The temple was not only corrupt, but it was polluted, and people started doing things in the temple that was not God's intention for the temple. And so we see Jesus at this time where the temple is extremely polluted, it's corrupt, and Jesus, he finishes his first miracle, this party that he was at where he turns water into wine, which we've talked about in this series, and then he leaves that party, and then something happens. And we're going to look and we're going to read in John chapter 2 verse 13 exactly what happens. Read this along with me. John 2:13 it says, "When it was almost time for Jewish Passover, Jesus, he goes up to Jerusalem, and in the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves." Imagine if you walked into church, like when we get back to church, imagine if you walked into church And all of a sudden, we had a farm set up inside church. I mean, that's what it would be like. They're walking into the holy place, and it is a disaster. There's people selling cattle, sheep, and doves. And I I mean, just imagine the smell. Imagine the chaos that is happening in the temple. And the Bible says, and others sitting at the tables were exchanging money. And we see this, that 2,000 years ago, 
really the church of Jesus, the temple, the temple of God, all of a sudden is in mad chaos. And there's these people that are sitting at these tables and they're doing business in the temple. Well, why were they exchanging money? Because here's the deal. If you brought coins with Caesar's face on it, they wouldn't accept it. You couldn't use it in the temple. In fact, the temple had their own, the, their own temple money. And so with this temple money, uh, they would exchange it. And here's what would happen. The exchange rate was extremely high. The change rate was just absolutely, uh, exchange rate was just absolutely crazy. And so here's what people began to do. People began to bargain for their sacrifice. And so all of a sudden, this animal that would pay for your sins, the animal that's going to pay for your sins for, the, for this season, they are bargaining at the temple on, well, how much do I have to pay to sacrifice for my sins? How much do, how much do I have to give God? And they're trying to get the best and cheapest rate for the sacrifice for their sins. And so they're exchanging money. And the religious people, they're hiking up the rates. And it was extremely corrupt. And Jesus is there and he's looking around. Imagine Jesus walking into this chaos. And, and most of us, we... We like to imagine our Jesus as this sweet little baby Jesus, you know, with this, with this long flowing hair and these beautiful blue eyes, and he's, he's holding a lamb, and he's got this, I love, I just don't understand the pictures of Jesus. He has this bleach white robe on. Like, I can't keep my clothes that white nowadays. Like, they must have had some really good bleach back in the day for him to keep that robe so white. I mean, that's the type of picture that we see with Jesus, this calm, cool, collected type of guy. But that's not what we see Jesus as in this moment. In fact, Jesus is not so happy the Bible actually says in John 2, verse 15, it says that he, Jesus, made a whip. So he bends down and he gets this whip of cords. And the Bible says that with that whip, <laughs> he drove all from the temple, uh, from the temple cords, both sheep and cattle. Think about this. Think about our Jesus picking up a whip and just going at it in the temple courts. I mean, throwing things, destroying things. It says that he scattered the coins of the money changers and he turned over their tables. Man, <laughs> some of you on the other side of this, you're like, this is the type of Jesus that I like. <laughs> I like this. I like knowing this type of Jesus, the type of Jesus that gets angry, man. That's that Jesus was. Jesus wasn't happy about what was happening in the temple. I want you to see that there is this kind of righteous anger. And Jesus is rightly angered about what's happening in the temple. Now, I want you to notice that righteous anger is not like our anger. You see, we get mad at someone because they hurt our feelings. They did something that we didn't like. That's not what righteous anger is. Jesus is angry because he knows the purpose of 
the temple. And because he knows the purpose of the temple, he was so angry, the Bible says, that he started sweeping the temple. With the, he picked up the cords and he was whipping and he was turning tables over. And basically Jesus says, listen, not in my house. This is not going to happen in my house. And some of you, you're, you're like, whoa, well, this is not the Jesus I heard about in Sunday school. It's not. This is the real Jesus. And it's interesting because this passage is actually not just recorded in one gospel, not just recorded in two, not just recorded in three. This passage is recorded in all four gospels. Can I tell you, there are very few stories in the Bible that are recorded in all four gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, why is that significant, Noah? Well, to me, it means that these authors of the books of the Bible, they distinctly remember this part of Jesus. And they wanted you to know this part of Jesus. That at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus says, Stop! Stop this! And he was mad. Listen, I... I the people react in this story, and right, probably rightfully so. I mean, you would, probably, you, you, you would probably be mad, like if you brought your dog and your cat in service and I kicked them out, you would, you'd probably be really upset with me. You'd be like, don't touch my dog. You know, I, like, I, and, and whatever. People got mad. People's feelings were hurt. But people had, they brought all their stuff in. They brought their animals. They brought their money. Not only that, but they essentially, by doing that, they had allowed idols into the temple. Even without them knowing it, they really allowed idols into the temple. So Jesus is driving those things out. And Jesus turns tables over, and his disciples remembered the passage from the Old Testament that says, you know, the zeal for your house consumes me. I want you to know that Jesus was zealous and he was jealous, man. Jesus, why is he acting so harshly? Why is he doing this? It's because he was jealous for the hearts of men. Because he knew that all the idols that they, would, that they brought into the temple would never satisfy them. You need to think about that this morning. All of the idols that they tried to bring into that temple, it would never satisfy them. All the idols that you bring into your temple, they'll never satisfy you. With, and that's what they had done. They, they'd done that with animals. They'd done that with money. And Jesus knew that that wasn't God's will. In fact, Jesus knew what they were doing and Jesus knew that it wasn't working. Jesus knew that every bit of it was just religion. It was all religious. It was all based on man's traditions that had polluted and corrupted the temple. And let me just pause here and say that I think that's where we are as a church today. I think there are so many churches right now in the middle of this pandemic 
where God is essentially turning some tables over in some churches right now. He's turning some tables over on man's tradition that has come into the church and said that you have to worship in the church with your brothers. Hey, I'm not, I, 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 it's, I, that's not a bad thing. I totally respect the worship with one another. The Bible clearly calls for that. But I think with this pandemic, God has turned some tables on some religious traditions that are within some churches right now. And why is he doing that? Because he's trying to show some of these churches that, hey, you know what? You're, you're, you're not following me for the right reasons. You, you, you've made the church experience all tradition and not a relationship. And I really do think that God is doing that in some churches right now. And can I tell you, I've seen churches respond. Churches are mad, man. They want to go back to church right now. They want to go back to church yesterday. And that's where these people were in the temple. They were mad. Why? Because they were religious. The church leaders were furious. The church, the temple leaders, they were so mad because Jesus had come in and messed with their tradition. That's where a lot of churches are at right now. Jesus has come in and messed with the tradition. I'll talk about that in just a minute, a little bit more. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about the temple. Think about the temple. What is the temple? Well, really, the temple is the same thing that we call our church building today. Really, what was happening in the temple was the church service. It's, and imagine this church service full of cattle and sheeps and sheep and chicken and goats and negotiations are over trying to make a deal. Like, Jesus hated this. And he said, there's too many distractions in my temple. See, why are you coming into the temple if you don't actually care about the presence of God? I think that's what Jesus was trying to show him. He's asking them, why are you even here if you don't care about God's presence? I have a feeling that there were a lot of people in churches before this pandemic that were just there, and they did not care about the presence of God. We're going to see something different rise up here in the next few weeks. We are the temple. You need to know that. You need to know that the temple is not just a place, but the Bible calls your body that when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says that you are the new temple. That means, and I want to hurt some feelings, but that means that we don't need a church building to be the temple. We don't need a church building to experience God's presence. Why? Because I'm thankful that the presence of God does not just abide in this room. I'm thankful that wherever I'm at, the presence of the living God is with me. That's what Jesus came to tell us. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what these people didn't understand. And, and Jesus is about to tell them all this. These people essentially just traded a relationship with God for tradition. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people out there right now who have traded a relationship with God for tradition, and they are finding out, and they are waking up during this pandemic. 
They made church a checklist. No transformation, no intimacy, just a butt in a seat. And that's how so many people have been. But can I tell you that Jesus is turning over tables? And here he is in this story. He's turning over the tables, and here's what they ask him. Look in John chapter 2, verse 18. They ask Jesus, they say, the, the Jews responded to him, and they're asking, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? They're upset. I mean, probably rightfully so. Like, you wouldn't like me going into your house and flipping over the tables. That's what Jesus is doing. They're like, what? And by what authority do you have? And Jesus answered them. And here's where we get, here's, I love the answer. It says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days, they replied. Here's what Jesus, Jesus says that he's going to, that if you would just destroy this temple, I'll raise it in three days. And they had no idea what Jesus was talking about. And so they reply and they say, well, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. Oh, man. I tell you, if there is a passage for today, this is it. There are religious church leaders right now today that are holding on to their little church building, and they're saying, I've been here for 46 years. It took me 46 years to build this temple. And here they are, and they don't even realize it. And here's what Jesus, and they say, and you are going to raise it in three days but they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about because Jesus says that what he was going to raise in three days was his body. And they just didn't understand it. They didn't know what temple that Jesus was talking about. Literally, Jesus was flipping the tables in the temple, but not only was he literally flipping the tables in the temple, but he was also flipping the definition of what the temple was. He came to show us that the temple is not a building. It's so much more. In fact, that's what 1 Corinthians says. Paul writes this. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Did you not know that? The Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Don't you know that you are the new temple? Can I tell you that if Jesus's body was the temple, and if Jesus didn't just come to live with me, but he came to live within me, all of a sudden, now, because Jesus lives in me, my body is the temple. My body is the temple. You need to say that on the other side of the screen. My body is the temple. Your body is the temple. And I, I, I think about this. I got, a, I got a little story to share with you. Think about the, uh, just recently, we, we've had to have security at church. And rightfully so, because of all these different crazy things that happened in our world. Right before, we, uh, right before we stopped having church, we have a security team. I don't know if you know that or not. But the security team is here to do one thing. The security team is here to protect the atmosphere. It's, they're here to protect the presence of God. That's what they're there for. And essentially, that's who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus was essentially the security team of the church. Jesus was kind of a, a, like, like the bouncer, essentially. And Jesus goes into the temple, and he says, you know what, you're corrupting everything about the temple, and, and this is not what it's designed to do. 
And Jesus was intense when he, went, he, when he went and did this. I mean, Jesus was going and he was cleaning house, man. That's what he did. And Paul says that in the same way that Jesus' body is the temple, that your body is the temple. And so in the same way that Jesus went to the temple of Jerusalem and flipped some tables, listen, Jesus wants to go into your temple. He wants to go into your life. And he wants to find anything that you've been piling up. Things that you've been piling up that's not of him. And he wants to cleanse your temple. He wants to turn some tables over. And he wants to cleanse you and he wants to purify you. And let me just ask you this question. What would it look like for Jesus to turn some tables in your heart? What if Jesus... Jesus the bouncer came in and said, you know what? That attitude that you carried, that attitude that you carried towards your kids, that attitude that you carried towards your spouse, that attitude that you carry to your workplace, the way that you treat people, that rudeness, that hypocrisy, that religiousness, that corruption, that racism, that, that feeling that you just always want to bargain with God? What if Jesus said, came into your temple and started flipping some tables and said, that needs to be cleaned out? Listen, we all understand the concept of spring cleaning. I've been spring cleaning at my home. What, what do you do when you, when, you, when you spring clean? What do you do? You're, you're looking at things and you're removing the things that are no longer necessary for your home for your life. Think about that. What if you, what if Jesus would come in and help you spring clean your heart? Is it possible that Jesus wants to do that today? And that's what I want to present to you. I got four really quick points that I want to give to you before we leave. But really these four points are just four different tables that I believe Jesus wants to turn over in your heart today. Here's the first table. The table number one, is the table of idolatry. The table of idolatry. Jesus wants to turn that table in your heart. And you're probably like, well, pastor, no, I don't have any idols. Well, here's the deal. You don't know if you have an idol until it's taken away from you. And for some of you, this pandemic, a lot of things have been taken away from you. And all of a sudden, you realize that you've been way too attached to some of those things. Maybe one of the things was, maybe one of your idols was your employer, your job. And when you got let go from your job during this pandemic, all of a sudden you didn't realize it, but you relied heavily on your job. And your job was an idol. And you're like, I work so hard for this company and they treat me like this. And well, all of a sudden you realize that your job was your idol. You see, idolatry is not usually seen until it's taken away from you. Maybe some of you, you idled your money, and now it's been taken away from you. And all of a sudden, you see how much you relied on that money. And that's what really even the, the temple guys, they, they had the same problem. Those guys, they, they were in there and they were bargaining for their sacrifice. They were literally bargaining to say, how little do I have to give to God? What's the bottom dollar do I have to give to God? 
They were doing that. That's what an idol is. An idol is anything that drives your decisions. An idol is anything that takes up space in your life. An idol is anything that really makes you worry at nighttime and never leaves your thoughts. And so I got a question for you today before we wrap this up. It's this. It's, does God move your feet? Or does your job move your feet? Is God the Lord of your life or is money the Lord of your life? And for some of you, you don't necessarily have that problem. For some of us, it's Netflix. It's like, I'm going to watch 10 hours of Netflix today and spend zero time in the Word. Others of us, it's entertainment, it's movies, it's social media. I mean, we love to scroll through social media. We love to get the latest drama, don't we? It stirs us, and it, and, and, and it drives us. We can't wait for the next stupid post. Like, that's what drives us. And I don't want you to get this, take this the wrong way, because, because God says, essentially, that like, God is not against you having things, but God says that he is against things having you. And so when I say these things, like, I'm not against social media, but I am against social media having your happiness. Social media should never own your happiness. God should. Jesus should. And I'm just asking, maybe we need to get rid of some of those things. Because listen, Jesus can satisfy you so much more than any other idol that you might have. He can satisfy you so much more. In fact, that's what Deuteronomy 6.15 says. Deuteronomy 6.15 says, For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. You know what that means? That our God is in hot pursuit after us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And we need to get rid of some idols that, we, that, that really have just been stinking up our temple, man. You need to get rid of some idols that have been stinking up your marriage. There's some idols that you have right now that's been stinking up your house. It's been stinking up your relationships. You need to get rid of some of those idols. And I don't know exactly what it is for you. But I encourage you to take some time this week and think about what are those idols that you need to get rid of? And some of you, you're like, man, I don't know if I want that kind of Jesus. I don't know if I want the table flipping Jesus. I like the shepherd better. Well, hey, listen, this is the real Jesus. And everything else that you listen to is counterfeit. The Jesus in Scripture wants your heart, and he is jealous for it. Let's look at the second table, if you're taking notes. The second table that Jesus wants to turn over is the table of hurt. The table of hurt. Listen, hurt, for some of us, hurt has set up shop in your temple. <laughs> Why? Well, maybe it was because of what someone said. Maybe it was because someone didn't treat you right. Maybe it was someone who discriminated against you. Maybe you've allowed the table of hurt to set up shop in your temple. And can I tell you what happens with hurt? It's not good. The hurt that we see, the hurt that is in your life, the hurt that builds up, when hurt doesn't get cleansed out from the temple, what happens? Hurt will soon turn into hate. 
Think about this, and you need to write that down. When hurt doesn't get cleansed out of the temple, hurt turns into hate. And I honestly think that we have seen that this week. Obviously, at the beginning of the week, there was a really awful video that I saw on social media. You all know this, where involved a police officer that was holding a man down with his knee. If you haven't seen it, I don't know how you make it through all nine minutes of the video. It's awful. And I think right now we see a world that is hurting because of it. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to hurt, but I can see this in our society, that when that hurt doesn't get cleansed from our heart, it turns into hate. I'm telling you, I was watching reports last night of places on fire. I mean, it's nuts. And I'm not saying that that's the right thing. I don't, I, I'm not saying that at all. I don't, I don't, I don't think that it is right to go out and destroy a town over this. But what I do know is that there has been some hurt just in our country for a long time that has been building up. And unfortunately, I think that this hurt for so many people has turned into hate. And I just want to say today, church, that we need to stop it before it turns into that hate. Because you know what the ultimate act of hate is? The ultimate act of hate is murder. I mean, think about it. We see this in the Bible. We see uh, the story of Cain and Abel. Think about Cain. Cain, he, he, he gets hurt because God had favor on Abel's sacrifice. And Cain's sacrifice wasn't all that much to God. And so Cain is hurt towards God. And what happens when Cain gets hurt? He takes it out on Abel. That hurt leads him to this place of hate. And he doesn't let God cleanse the table of hate in his heart. Instead, the table takes up shop in his heart. And Cain kills his brother Abel. We see another story. Think about Saul. Saul, who was once such a great king, he finds out that David is going to take the throne. And instead of allowing that smooth transition, Saul allows the table of hurt to set up shop in his temple. And that hurt turns into hate. And finally, after 20 years of Saul chasing David, he's chasing a teenager. Saul self-destructs. Listen, if you don't turn the table of hurt, if you don't let Jesus flip that table in your life, it will turn into hate. And you will do things that you're not supposed to be doing. That hurt will turn into hate, and it will make you self-destruct. And I'm here today to say, 
that Jesus wants to remove it. Because can I tell you, it's not helping anyone. That's my prayer, is that Jesus would flip the table of hurt in this country. Because it's not helping anyone when it turns into hate. Let Jesus flip that table of hurt. Here's the third table that I want to talk to you about today, is the table of pride. I know you're probably like, well, I, I, I definitely don't have pride. Listen, pride is so easy to spot in other people, and it's so hard to spot in ourselves. For so many of us, uh, we just it's really easy just to be like, well, he's so cocky, or, or like, she's such an arrogant little, you know. I, yeah, I, we, we, we can see pride in other people. And listen, you're really good at calling it out in other people. But when is the last time you looked in the mirror and thought, well, maybe there's some pride in me? Maybe I've had a hard time celebrating others because I have too much pride in my own heart. Listen, this happened to John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist flipped the table of pride before it could even start. John the Baptist, here's what happens. There's a bunch of people that come to John the Baptist and then they say, John, uh, all your followers are leaving you and they're going to Jesus. And they're, they're trying to get John just like fired up and really prideful. But John, he flips the table of pride in his own heart. And, and John says, you don't even understand. He must become greater and I must become less. John, he flipped that table of pride. Whatever is trying to hurt your ego, whatever is trying to mess with your pride, whatever is making you mad, what if you flipped that table today and said, you know what, it's not about me. I remember as a kid, just uh, volunteering in a church, just thinking like, I, I would spend countless hours uh, up there just working on different things. And there were, there were special things like, oh, I, there, were, there, there were seasons of my life where I just thought, man, I made that video. Like, mention my name from stage or something. Like, I made that graphic. I, I did that. I mentioned, mentioned me. Talk about me. And I remember just one weekend, it was just like, it was just like Jesus just dropped this into my heart and just said, hey, Jesus is just like, you know what, Noah, you're going to have to. You're going to have to crucify your need for credit. Can I tell you, when, when I did that, it, things began to change. Matthew 23, verse 12 says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The interesting thing about our God is that the lower you go, actually the higher you get to go. It's an interesting little fact about our God. But can I tell you how we handle the invisible seasons in our life, the seasons where we think that we need credit, the seasons that we, when the, 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 that we think that we're not seen, those invisible seasons determine whether God can promote us to a visible season. And I promise you, some of you, you're working behind the scenes right now. And you're not getting a lot of credit, but can I tell you that one day God will promote you to a visible season. Where the lower you go, actually, the higher you will be. And finally, the last one, if you're on with us, write this down. It's number four, the table of an overcrowded life. The table of an overcrowded life. And I left this one last because I, I really just wanted to talk about this one because I think it really just touches us where we are today. What if the temple that Jesus came to cleanse wasn't just about getting rid of the sin in your heart, the addictions that you have, and the bad habits? 
But what if the stuff that Jesus came to cleanse, he was, that the stuff that he was getting out of the temple, think about this. He wasn't like, the, the goats, the animals in the temple, they were actually good stuff. I mean, that's good stuff. But what had happened is, is that it had just piled up for so long. And here's what he was trying to do. Jesus came into that temple, flipped some tables to show you that he was wanting to make room for some new things. And what if Jesus is going through the temple, your temple? What if Jesus wanted to go through your temple and yeah, it might not be a bad thing that you're doing, but he just wants to prepare you for something so much greater. And I think for, like I mentioned earlier, I think for a lot of churches and and especially for a lot of people, this is just such a new season. And Jesus is going through the temple of so many churches right now and so many lives. And and there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, Jesus, you know what? But this is so, this is good. Like we've held on to this for so long. These traditions, like it took us 46 years to build our sanctuary. Like, Like you don't even know this is how it's always been. And this is the way that it's always looked. But Jesus says, hold on, hold on. He's not saying that your traditions are bad. But he's saying, I'm, I, I've just got something new for you. And in order for you to receive that new thing, you've got to get rid of some of that old junk that's just taken up space. Yeah, it might not be bad, but it's just in the way. In fact, somebody asked me recently, they said, what is God stirring in your heart for the future, Noah? What is God wanting to do in you? And it, it, it really just shocked me because it's just like, you know, I'm just... I'm just working from week to week, man. Like, I'm just trying to get a message prepared for Sunday. Like, that's my highest priority. I'm just, I one day at a time. But they said, well, Noah, what? Maybe, maybe God wants to stir some new dreams in your heart. You just don't have the room for it. You're so overcrowded. But what if Jesus wanted to cleanse you? And what if he's saying that you're, you're just doing too much? Church, what if this season was designed to cleanse you? What if this season was designed to show you that you have too much in your heart? Jesus wants to bring you new vision, but you have to release some of the good old days. In fact, I got this last question for you before we wrap this up is this. Are you Are you more loyal to the good old days? Are you more loyal to the thing that God wants to do fresh in you? And some of you, you're you're married to your past traditions. And I'm just giving you a warning. When we go back to church, we haven't even been, I mean, we haven't barely been to church for two years. And we've had, like, in those two years, we've developed traditions. And some of those traditions are going to go away for a season. But the question becomes, are you married to those past traditions more than you are to God's future plans? Listen, what if God is saying, I'm, I'm going to do something new in you, but you've just got to let me come in with that whip of cords. And listen, we learned this last week. Jesus is not going to hurt you with that whip of cords. He's not after you. He's not, he's not there to beat you down, but he's just got to move some of the old junk in your life out of the way so that you can get some new stuff in. Let me just ask you this. What tables in your life, what, what tables does he need to turn in your life today? 
if your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and maybe you've allowed some things to get set up in your temple, what does he need to turn? Maybe for some of you it's sports. Maybe, maybe when soccer comes back in season, we're not going to be so into soccer. I mean, I know people who, who will drop out of church for, for weeks because it's soccer season. Maybe you're just realizing that that idol has pushed Jesus out. What tables does Jesus want to turn in your life? Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you so much that you came as an example for us. And that, Lord, you, you want to flip some tables in our life. And, God, maybe they're, maybe they're horrible tables. God, I pray, that those, I pray that those bad tables would get flipped right now in Jesus' name. But, Lord, I, I pray that this week you would just help us identify some of those other things in our life that maybe they're good, but maybe they just need to step out of the way for this season. Lord, I ask that you would change people's, people's hearts today. Lord, change their temple. Clean it out. Let's have some spring cleaning in Jesus' name. For some of you on the other side of that screen, you today have just understood what it is to be like uh, to, to really have Jesus in your heart. When you have Jesus in your heart, can I tell you that God, that he sets up a temple in, in your heart. And the Bible says that if you would just pray and accept Jesus Christ and that you would just know that, that Christ was raised, that he died for your sins and that he was raised from the dead three days later, that you can be saved. Listen, I want that for you. I want that salvation for you. And if that's you on the other side of the screen, let's just pray this after me. Just say this after me. Say, dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. But I believe that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I give you my life. Cleanse my temple. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.